Happy New Year. Hey, thanks for your prayers last week. Uh, for those of you who weren't here last week, it was my birthday, but it's no big deal. If you didn't send me a card, I'm fine. Um, but I had, had a little eye procedure and I wasn't here last week. Thank you to Gabriel. Wonderful sermon. I watched, uh, I love live stream. Um, I, I mean, I, if you're sick or can't make it to church, it's a great place. But if you're at home live stream and you're just lazy, you need to get to church. And uh, today would be a good sermon to listen to. But welcome, everyone. I, I got to watch it live stream last week. Uh, glad, that, glad that you're here. We are starting a new series. Uh, we, we're in a time of prayer and fasting, which we do annually. The first 21 days or so of January, we have, ever since the church started, had a time of uh, prayer and fasting. And as a part of this, um, I want to do a series called Sacrificial Living. You know, to, to pray and to fast is to uh, sacrifice in some measure, right? I mean, if you're going to pray and fast, you're going to have to give up some time, give up some food on the internet, something. You're going to have to sacrifice something in order to participate in this time of prayer and fasting. And for many people, the whole idea of prayer and fasting sounds so Old Testament. The whole idea of fasting, you know, like they did that in the Old Testament, but is that really New Testament? Well, yeah, it is. First of all, New Testament. And I want to give you a gospel perspective on it. And then I want to preach a sermon that I annually do kind of as the first sermon of the year. Uh, it's the sermon I preached more than any other sermon. And I think I keep preaching it to myself uh, every year. And so as I do, hopefully you'll join in with me and it'll resonate in your heart as well. But the key passage that we're going to use for this whole idea of sacrificial living is this. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. God gave us the gift of his son, Jesus, to come to this earth. He, he, he says in John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he what? That he gave. So we as the people of God, if we're going to be like God, I mean not be like him, but if we're in his family, we're going to take on the family characteristics of God, what kind of people should we be? A giving people. God gave his son and the gospel response is that we in turn love, give, serve, to do that takes sacrifice. It takes sacrifice. And so as we prepare our hearts and our lives to do that, we want to we enter these 21 days, these, this time, which already started. It actually started Thursday, uh, uh, this time of prayer and fasting, seeking after God. And the reason we combine the two of prayer and the fasting is is, is fasting is the idea of denying yourself something. It, it's, the, it's the idea of giving up something. It's something that's already taking place in our lives, but we're going we're gonna to give it away for a period of time in order to seek after God. So there's the denial aspect of life, and then there's the, the assertive aspect, so to speak, praying, stepping out in prayer. And to combine these two, helps us to break off and to participate in what God is doing. Because whether we know it or not, as we go through life, we pick up the dirt of the world. 
We pick it up whether we want to or not. It's just like living life. Every so often, you should probably take a shower. You know, you should probably take a bath. Why? Because you just pick up stuff by living. And spiritually, the same thing happens in our lives. But for many of us, we don't recognize the way we smell, so to speak, spiritually. And one of the things that prayer and fasting does, fasting helps. Every time I enter a time of fasting, I go after God with these big motives. Like I want to hear from God and God's going to give me direction from my life. And inevitably what happens in those first times of giving up something is I recognize the junk of the world that I've picked up. It's a massive time of repentance. It's like the, the stuff that is in there that I'm not even aware of comes to the surface. Usually, um, you know, in, in years past, my staff would make fun of me because they were like, we think that for the first week you do any kind of fasting, we should not be around you. Uh, because, you know, like stuff like anger comes up. Things like impatience comes up. Things that, that I've developed in my life that I don't even know are there, but they're suppressed. But God reveals them during those times of fasting. And you combine that with prayer, seeking after him, so you're, you've got this combo working in your life. And to do it, I'm going to tell you people, it takes sacrifice. It takes living sacrificially. Now, here's, I want to give you this perspective on it, and then I want to move into the main context of the, the sermon. Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration, he and three of his apostles, they had this incredible experience with, you know, Jesus and Moses and Elijah. It's, it's unbelievable. And then they come down from the spiritual mountain, the high, so to speak, into a, a, a situation which is like a panorama of unbelief. You've got um, this father with a son who is ill, really demon-possessed, but ill. And the disciples are trying to cast the demon out of the boy. The, the Pharisees, the religious leaders, the people are around. And really, what, what it looks like is... Nobody here really believes. The religious leaders definitely don't believe. The father, he's not so sure. The disciples, they think they believe, but they're not doing any good. Jesus walks into this situation and addressing, I'm not sure who, if it's the disciples or the religious leaders or the crowd or the father. He says, you unbelieving and perverse generation. Unbelieving and perverse and to me, there's an aspect here of belief that takes proactive and perverse, which takes cutting off, so to speak. Do you understand that combo of prayer and fasting? The, Jesus says to the father of the son something about, hey, if you have faith, if you believe, I can do this. Do you believe? And the father, in one of the greatest lines, I think, uh, in the New Testament says, hey, I believe, help my unbelief. I believe, but maybe I don't believe enough. Jesus, help my unbelief. Jesus casts the demon out of the boy. He's set free. Later on, his disciples say to him, hey, why couldn't we do this? We've seen you do it. We've been pretty good at some stuff here in the past, but why could we not help this boy get free? And Jesus says to him, this kind can only come out by what? Prayer and fasting. 
And now, we all recognize that Jesus is not saying, look, at this very moment, you should enter fasting and prayer. Right? It's too late. I mean, the fasting and prayer needed to take place prior to, in order to get to this situation. This unbelieving, we need prayer. We need to step into faith. We need to believe. Fasting, perverse. We live in a perverse generation. Fasting helps us separate from both the generation that we live in, in a sense, to hear from God and then enter in into faith. I believe that everyone in this room, as Paul says in Thessalonians, I pray that your entire spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless till the coming of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. You are made up of spirit, soul, and body. And when... When you are redeemed, the darkened spiritual aspect, the spirit man or woman of your life is enlivened by the presence of God. You're set free. The spirit of God comes in and dwells you. But you're still soul and body, right? And much of your life, much of your life and my life is, is devoted to feeding the soul and the body. I need entertainment, I need food, I need this. And so if you're not careful, the soul and the body aspect of your life will determine the course of your life. And they'll say, feed me, feed me, feed me. And on demand, you feed them. And what happens in times of fasting is you're saying to your soul and to your body, you are not in control. The spirit of man, the spirit of God that indwells me is in control. So I'm going to deny feeding you soul. I'm going to deny feeding you body in order that the right priority will take place. I'll get realigned so that my soul and my body don't think that they are the determining factors of my life. We all need that at times because we feed the soul and the body so much that we think they determine the direction of our life. Last couple of weeks, my, my grandkids were here. Um, one is two and a half, one's like six months. It's a joy to see them go home. And um, <laughs> no, I love having them, but you know, at some point you're like, you're like man, this is, a, this is a full-time job, taking care of a two and a half year old and a six month old. But it's so interesting to me as you train you know, a six-month-old, you just kind of, you have to feed them when they're hungry because they will scream their heads off if you don't feed them or when they need sleep. Two-and-a-half-year-old, you're starting to train them. No, you know, you eat now because we're all eating. You, you don't get to just eat whenever you want. And um, you don't get just to sleep whenever you want. You're going to go to bed now. You're going to go to bed now. My, I, I, we were cracking up because my two-and-a-half-year-old is like his grandfather, he comes to his mom and says, it's bedtime. You know, some of you who have two-and-a-half-year-olds, you can be jealous of Sarah. I mean, he comes and says, ready to go night-night. And so she's, okay, let's go. And so she puts it down. But, you know, you don't get to determine that. You learn as life goes along, food, sleep, everything like that. They, they can't control my life. If I'm a spiritual being, a spiritual man, then it's the spirit of God in me. 
that directs my life. And prayer and fasting will help us determine that. So for many of us, what this time is, it's a time, it's a wake-up call to our bodies, to our souls, to say, it's now time to come back alive in some ways. I've kind of been lulled into sleep and Prayer and fasting will help you do that. Now, we're having prayer every morning, Monday through Friday at 6 a.m. 6 a.m. here in the youth room. If you want to deny yourself something and you want to wake up, come to prayer at 6 a.m. It's a wonderful time to gather together to seek after God. But I'll confess, it takes a sacrifice to get up at 5, to get here at 6 or whatever. And, And trust me, you don't have to dress up. If you don't want to dress up for the 6 a.m. prayer time, don't dress up. I come in sweats most of the time. So um, just come and pray. God doesn't care what you look like at 6 a.m., and neither do I. So just come on and join us in the youth room, and we'll have a time of prayer and fasting together. One of the things, and this sermon that I'm going to kind of go through, talks about waking up and the importance of waking up spiritually. So we're going to talk about sacrificial living over the next three or four weeks. And as a part of sacrificing, it is a sacrifice to wake up. Many of us, we hit the sloth button, I mean snooze button, on our uh, clocks many times when the alarm goes off. And so three characteristics of sleep that R.T. Kendall talks about is this. And I borrowed these from him when he was here years ago. He, he, He says... Three characteristics of sleep is that you don't know that you're asleep until you wake up, right? You don't know you're asleep until you wake up. Second is you dream about doing things that you would not do otherwise if you were awake. Uh, The other night, just this week, I had this dream where I was like spinning. It was a weird kind of dream, and yes, I have been taking some drugs over the last week. So, because of my surgery, um, uh, so, I, I, <laughs> so funny, Olivia and I, we, uh, we, uh, I came home from my surgery, my eye surgery, and we've been watching this show on Netflix, Lost in Space, it's done, but we were watching it together. Then a week later, I said to Liv, let's, uh, let's, let's watch some more episodes of Lost in Space. She said, okay. We turned it on, and I said, hey, this says we're on episode seven. She goes, Yeah. And I said, no, 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 I think we were on like episode three. And she goes, no, we watched four, five, and six together the other day. I have no memory of four, five, and six. So the drugs were good uh, after my eye surgery. But I was spinning out of control, and I woke up, and I was still in bed, and things were still spinning. And then I realized, oh, wait a minute, I'm still asleep. I woke up again. Do you understand? Have you ever had a dream where you woke up and you're in your bed, except you're not awake yet? That's the way we, that's why we really need to wake up. Sometimes we dream, we don't know we're asleep until we wake up. We think we're awake, but we're not. And we dream about doing things that we would never do, and we hate the sound of the alarm. When it goes off in the morning, we hate to wake up. And I want to commend to you, church, that Paul says this, do this, understanding the present time, the hour has come for you to wake up. From your slumber because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. Fullness, I want to encourage you today, again, this morning, this this new year, that it is time for us individually and corporately to wake up. What do we wake up to? Well, I'm going to look at three different passages from Proverbs. You know, he 
the author of Proverbs, Solomon, he has a lot to say about the sloth or, you know, the person caught in, um, who likes sleep more than he likes anything else. So I'm using three passages from Proverbs to talk about what are we waking up to. The first is this. We need to wake up to the call for diligence in our lives. Wake up to the call for diligence. It says in Proverbs 26, 14, as a door turns on its hinges, so a sluggard turns on his bed. I mean, you get the picture. Door on the hinges. It's going nowhere. It is the picture of one who has ceased to be diligent. The one who just would rather stay in bed than to get up. Just going back. Where does the door go? Well, it actually goes nowhere. It's just staying right there. That's its whole purpose. It's just stay right there and turn on its hinges. And that's what a slugger does. They've ceased to be diligent. They're just existing. In Hebrews, the author of Hebrews says, we want each of you to show this same what? Diligence. There's a call to diligence in our lives. We want to show you the same diligence to the very end, in order to make your hope sure. We do not want you to become lazy, but to imitate those who through faith and patience inherit what has been promised. People, without getting into this too far, but there is a direct connection between our diligence and our reception of the promised inheritance. We need to stay diligent. Some of you may be looking for direction in your life or destiny so to speak and God is saying okay wake up and stay diligent stay diligent in other words don't give up on it don't stop pursuing it stay diligent we live in an age where we are so immediately gratified that if we don't get something right away we just give up on it rather than pursuing it long term some of the things God may be calling us to do are to, is to pursue diligently, long-term, what he has for us. Last year, we went to um, the Malcolms, and Kathy and I, Robin Shannon, we went to the Garden of Gethsemane, and um, it is the same garden. I mean, there's not everything in Israel you know, hey, we're at the same place. I mean, the Temple Mount, you know, you're on the Temple Mount. Garden of Gethsemane, you're, just, you're in the Garden of Gethsemane. It's been there. The, the olive tree that's behind me in the picture was supposedly there. It's, it's well over 2,000 years old. It was there when Jesus, that night in the garden, went to pray. Now, the rock that's in the right picture, the rock that's in the right picture is... Supposedly, now we're not sure, the rock where Jesus prayed the night before his crucifixion. There's a big church right behind it. You can't see it. It's called the Church of All Nations. Uh, and it's built kind of in an L shape. And the rock is like there in the corner. And then the garden is right outside of it. And you remember the night before Jesus, the night Jesus was betrayed, the night before his trial, the night before his crucifixion. He goes to the Garden of Gethsemane to pray. Takes his disciples with him. And he says... Hey, wait for me here, stay awake, stay alert, stay diligent. I'm going to go away and pray. And you remember what happens? He goes away for an hour, comes back. Where are they? 
I used to laugh. My dad and I, my dad had a, my dad's birthday was yesterday, so I've been thinking a lot about him. But my dad's church in South Florida used to have these early morning prayer times. And I'd come home from college or something, and dad would drag me to these early morning prayer times with him. And um, we'd be there praying, and I'd be trying to stay engaged. And after about 30 minutes, I'd hear this. You know, my dad's, I'm like, Dad, later I would say to him, Dad, the reason you love early morning prayer is just another nap time for you. Uh, so he would have trouble, he'd be having trouble staying awake in the early morning prayer. Hey, I've been to prayer meetings with some of y'all, you got the same issue, I know. But come at 6 a.m. anyway, we'll try and keep you engaged. The disciples couldn't stay diligent. They were having trouble staying awake. And it's been a long day and a long week, really. Jesus comes to them and says, Simon, are you asleep? Could you not keep watch for one hour? Could you not stay engaged? Could you not stay diligent even for one hour? I would have been with Simon. I, I, you know, late at night, prayer meetings, I'm much better at the 6 a.m. than the 11 p.m. prayer meetings, to be honest. Um, it would have been hard. The picture is this. When you fall asleep, and quit being diligent, that's when the enemy is crouching at your door waiting to jump. I think one of the great biblical examples is the example of David. David loved the pursuit of being king, but once he got king, you quit being quite as diligent. You know, you're a lot more diligent when people are chasing after you and trying to kill you. You know, you're, you're going to stay a lot more alert. Then he becomes king, and he kind of lets his guard down. Okay, now I'm the king. Uh, things are good. Nah, at the time the kings go off to war, David stayed home. And it was then that David saw Bathsheba, entered into an immoral relationship with her, had her husband killed. I mean, the list, he just, he didn't, I don't think David woke up and said, you know what, I'm going to get a woman pregnant next door, and I'm going to kill her husband. I don't think he woke up that morning saying, I think I'll ruin my life today. Most of us, we don't wake up that day thinking we're going to ruin our lives. But when we fall asleep and we quit being diligent, that we're, that's when the enemy is he's there. And, and it'll be a series of progressive decisions that'll get us to a point where we, David was so asleep, he didn't even recognize what he had done really. Until a prophet comes to him and says, you're the guy who has participated in all of this. And it's then David, I think, almost really wakes up and says, oh my goodness, I've sinned before God. Create in me a clean heart, O oh God. Renew a right spirit within me. It's the lack of diligence, the lack of alertness, the falling asleep at the wheel that led him to this car wreck, so to speak. God calls us to be a people of diligence, to stay awake, to stay alert. He also calls us to action. It's one thing to wake up. It's another thing to get up, right? You know, it's one thing to, for our eyes to be open, and it's another to actually get out of bed. In a very graphic passage in Proverbs, back to Proverbs, it says, not only does the slugger turn like a, door on its hinges but the sluggard he sticks his hand in the dish and he's so lazy I'm adding up too he says he will not even bring it back to his mouth you understand plates there foods there hand in the food 
oh my goodness, this is really hard work bringing it to my mouth. My elbow has to bend. And for many of us, we want to act, but we just don't. Part of waking up is actually moving the call to action in our lives. I've talked to a lot of people who wanted to get in shape. I want to exercise. I would like to run. But it's a whole different thing when you get your booty off the couch and get outside and start moving, right? There's a call to action at some point if you want to participate in that or anything that God calls you. Prayer and fasting is a call to action. God is calling us to wake up and to move for his kingdom's sake. One of the great examples of this to me is Jonah. Another biblical example. You remember Jonah gets this word from the Lord. Jonah is a prophet, by the way. I mean, what are prophets supposed to do? Well, they hear from God and they speak for God. That's their job description. Jonah gets a word, comes to Jonah, son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city. Cry out against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. Jonah said, nah, I don't think so. I hate those people. I hate the Assyrians. I hate them Ninevites. I'm not going. Why does he want to go? Well, Jonah at his heart, he's a racist. I mean, if you think about it, he's a racist. He, doesn't, he hates that race of people. He's not going to go. I'm, God, I'm afraid that if I go, you're gonna, I'll preach, they'll repent, and you'll spare them. So I'm not going to go. This is my interpretation, maybe not totally accurate, but I'm not going to go. Then they won't hear the word. They can't repent, and you'll have to destroy him. So what does Jonah do? He goes the opposite direction. I'm not even going to risk going that way. So he jumps ship, jumps a ship. Lord's not going to leave him alone. Violent wind comes up. Such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid and each cried out to his own God and they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. Jonah is in the middle of a massive storm. Ship's about to break up. Where's Jonah? Jonah had gone below deck where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. He just fell asleep. I am so not going to act that even in the middle of the storm raging around me, I'm just going to fall asleep. Now, how he could fall asleep, I have no idea. I've been on a couple of cruises in my life, big cruise ships, you know. They start rocking just a little bit. I'm like, you know, right away. I'm like, I don't, I don't want to go down on this ship. Jonah's on not a big ship at all. It's about to perish, and he's, he had no problem going below deck and falling asleep captain even a pagan guy comes to him and says to him how can you sleep get up call on your god maybe he will take notice of us and we will not perish wake up it's a command for action a couple weeks ago i went and saw my doctor for my annual physical I hate my annual physical. I don't want to be too graphic about why I hate it so much, but I just don't like it at all. There is not, it is not a pleasant experience. My dad had a certain form of cancer that is in our family. 
prostate cancer and the whole thing, the whole experience is just very unpleasant. I hate to go. So I know people who deny going to the doctor because they're afraid of what they may find out. Now, the logic to the whole thing to me is, is kind of screwy. You know what I mean? Oh, I'm afraid of the doctor because he might tell me I'm sick. Well, the doctor's not making you sick, right? He's just going to tell you your condition. Some of us, we act so out of fear that we refuse to act, even if we have a sickness or condition that is, could possibly kill us. I would rather stay home and die than go to the doctor. Not, not me. I'd rather go to the doctor, see a doctor, get rid of it kind of thing if I've got a problem. God is calling us to action, spiritual action, because there are many things in our lives that we need to pray and fast, seek God, separate ourselves from the perverse generation so the, the cancer of the age doesn't engulf us. Does that mean we don't have anything to do with our age? No, 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 no. Not at all, but prayer and fasting, it helps reorient us, helps us get into a position, a call to action in our lives. Finally, we need to wake up to the crisis of deception. Wake up to the crisis of deception that's all around us. The sluggard says, back to the sluggard, there's a lion outside, or I will be murdered in the streets. Now, what is the problem with his statements? Well, there ain't no lion, and he's probably not going to be murdered. You know what I mean? He's, he's, he's deceived on what's going to take place. Now, what is the problem with deception? The problem with deception is most of us don't know we're deceived. Very, very few people. You know what? I'm deceived, and I like it. I'm just going to stay here in the middle of my deception. No, no, no. Nobody thinks they're deceived or almost nobody, thinks they're deceived and just continues to walk in it. Again, that's one of the things prayer and fasting will do for us. It'll help realign us to see the truth of our lives. And the other thing about deception is, and this is my contention, I've preached this sermon several times, you act upon what you believe to be true, whether it's true or not. It, the truth really doesn't matter so much as you, you will act if you think something is true. So if you're deceived, what is the problem? You act upon your deception. We need the truth of God in our lives. This sluggard is saying, there's a lion outside. I'm going to be murdered. So what does he do? He stays home. I'm not going anywhere. I'm afraid. Many of us, we act on the deception that we've received. We need the truth of God so we can walk the right path. I mean, what, what is, it's one thing to go the wrong direction, but it's another thing to go the wrong direction thinking you're going the right direction. You know, there have been times where I've been lost, but usually I know I'm lost. I don't know where I am. I'm still going to, now it doesn't happen as much anymore with my phones and GPS. It's hard to get lost these days. But there was a day when it was pretty easy to get lost. Hello? Remember those days, people? When you actually had to, a paper map if you wanted to find a place? A thing in the glove compartment, you'd have to, hey, get that map out. Get that map out. 
Why don't you stop and ask for direction? No, I'm not asking. I'm going to read a map. Give me the map kind of thing. It's one thing. But it's another to say, eh, I'm just going. I have no idea where I'm headed. Doesn't really matter. That's the way many of us are living our lives. We don't, we're lost and we don't know we're lost. But we're cruising down, we're making good time. You know, we're just flying down the highway thinking we're going the right way. One last biblical example, Samson. Samson, strong guy, weak character, long hair. <laughs> long hair and weak character don't go together. I'm not making that connection. But another lesson, dates the wrong woman. And that's a whole other story we could get into. Whole crazy relationship. She's trying to trick him into finding what his strength is. And Samson is not. He's not the sharpest guy. He's strong, but not mentally, I think. Um, I mean, like, you know, it's a number of times she tries to trick him. Every time she tries to trick him into giving the strength, he doesn't connect that the Philistines are upon him, jumps up, breaks the bonds, goes out and kills the Philistines. He never puts it together. Oh, this woman is trying to... Anyway, he falls. What does he do? He falls asleep on her lap after he tells her that about his hair being the source of his strength. Really, it's God is the source of his strength, but the hair is a connective point because of that Nazarite vow. Having put, put him to sleep on her lap, she called a man to shave off the seven braids of his hair and so began to subdue him. And his strength left him. Then she called, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. He awoke from his sleep and thought, I'll go out as before and shake myself free. And this is one of the saddest scriptures you'll ever read. But he did not know that the Lord had left him. I'll go out and do what I've always done. Kick the Philistines. But he did not know the Lord had left him. He was deceived. The enemy had tricked him, had deceived him, and he fell right into it. He did not know. When, does the in, when is the enemy crouching at your door trying to deceive you when you're asleep? You're not alert. You're not staying engaged in the process. In Matthew, Jesus says, Under, The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed to the field, but when? While everyone was sleeping, his enemy came and sowed seeds among the wheat and went away. The enemy comes and sows the seeds of deception in our lives, so to speak, when we're asleep at the wheel. I want to encourage you today to wake up, to become, a, to become alert. A couple of weeks ago, really last month, I have this, <laughs> my family laughs because y'all are so sweet. I mean, really, you the, this is the greatest congregation ever. A couple of years ago, I was, I was kidding about getting an ember mug. Do you all know what those are? Do I need to teach you again? Um, I was laughing about there's a coffee cup that you can charge, and it keeps your coffee hot the whole time, you know. And I got like three of them that Christmas. You people are so incredible. So I, I need a new car, and uh, no, I'm just kidding. Um, just joking, sort of. And anyway... 
So my, the mug I have on my desk, next to my desk, it quit charging. You know, I'd put it on there, and a little light would come on, but then it wouldn't charge. I'm like, ah. Oh. So I, sometimes it's got a little plate on it. You move it around, and it's kind of a funky little thing. Sometimes it gets dirty, and the charge won't happen. And, <clears throat> and so I started reading about it online. I just, whatever I did, I could not get this thing to charge. So they said, hey, you know, sometimes those little plates that they sit on, the charging port, so to speak, goes bad, and you just need to get another one. Okay, I'll get another one. So I, because I played with it for weeks trying to get it to charge again, just wouldn't do it, and it's a really important part of my life. And so I ordered, <laughs> paid for myself the little plate that goes the charging thing on. So I put it, I got it, I got the plate, moved the cup, got the old plate, went down to the plug, the plug, the power strip. My power strip was off. <laughs> At some point. For, I'm talking weeks now, the power strip was off. Flipped it on, boom, old one works great. So I got to spare one of these little plates if you need one for your ember mug. Um, you know, people, it just started hitting me again. You know, sometimes I think I'm hooked up to the power, but I'm not. You know what I mean? And isn't that terrifying for us in our lives to think we're going the right direction, think we're connected to the power of God, think we're doing good because we've just been lulled into this apathetic, lethargic, half-sleep where we think we don't even know we've watched three shows kind of thing. People, it's time to wake up. I don't know what the future holds. I, I'm not prophetic. I, I, I don't have a picture of all the steps for our country or for fullness. But the one thing I know is this. We need to understand this present time. And how are we going to do it? The only way we're going to do it is for us to wake up from our slumber. We need to wake up spiritually because, again, it is the spirit part of us that will determine how our soul and our body reacts properly. It is light that makes everything visible. This is why it says, wake up, O sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Be careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Fullness, I want to encourage you this morning to wake up again. Let the alarm sound in your life. Don't hit the snooze button one more time, but instead, hear the voice of God calling you to say, wake up spiritually. And prayer and fasting will help you do that. Denying yourself something and pursuing after God will help you to, to wake up. This morning, in your bulletin, there's a prayer card. It's a white card. It looks like this. It says Prayer and Fasting 2020 on it. Every morning we're praying for these cards. I, I want to encourage you. I would love to encourage everyone to put your name on this card and to put something that you're praying about. You're pursuing God for on this prayer card. And then those that come at 6 a.m., they're going to take these cards and they're going to pray over it. And if they have a word for you, they're going to write it on the back. If they hear from God about something in this prayer request, they're going to write it on the back. And like three weeks from now, you'll get this card back. 
saying, hey, we're not sure this may be of the Lord. Just take it to heart. Griffin Hornsby had a word earlier saying, you know, there's some among you who are sick and pursuing God or things are going. And, and he was saying he was hearing from God that God is not mad at you. God is not angry at you. Part of it is life and part of it is just God is wanting to teach you and purify you and cleanse you. We, I want to encourage you to take the prayer card. Write what you're call, crying out to God for. And in a moment, the offering is going to be passed. Just put this in the offering plate. We'll sort them out and um, we'll pray for you. Amen? Take just a moment. I'll give you that time to do that. Spirit of God, I pray you would move among us today and pray that what we put on this card would reflect the work that you're doing in our lives. Lord, I pray that we would awake and arise and be alive in you. God, we thank you for your work in our lives. We thank you. Holy Spirit, come. Stir us afresh and anew today. Lord, as I pray, I pray right now as we come to a time of giving that God will give back to you part of what you've given to us as an act of worship that says we're yours totally and completely, O oh Lord. Thank you for the privilege of giving through worship. To worship. In Jesus' name. Amen. While you get your offering ready and the prayer card and everything else, Scott's got a couple of...